0: Hey everyone, this is Mike Walker and welcome back to another episode of The Control Room Podcast. Today's episode is part two of your top five favorite hip-hop artists of all time, plus Ryan Southern's true hip-hop story. So if you haven't checked out part one yet, go ahead, pop that in, listen to that, because... Part one flows right into part two. This episode picks up right where that one leaves off. So go ahead, make sure you're all caught up and ready to go for this episode because it picks up. Uh, Ryan's discussing Pac and Biggie, their style and their flavor of music, why he likes it, why he doesn't like it. Also, some of his greatest artistic influences that um shaped his career and we also discussed just you know 90s 90s hip-hop gangster rap ice cube nwa all that good stuff uh, so stay tuned for that and also make sure you listen all the way through to the very end where i play a little clip of ryan's song that he did a few years back with a singer slash actress called ayala and the track is called as though i had wings so if you want to know if this guy can actually do it, I'm telling you we can. Go ahead and stay tuned. Listen to that track. And you know what? I'm done talking. So without further ado, let's get to it.
1: Um, even though it might have been prophetic and they may have seen the inevitable, you know, um, before anybody else still is like, man, uh, it's a little bit too dark for me. And um, so I just couldn't get with actually Tupac's album that Dear Mom album I bought that one when it came out I loved it I was like yo that's the Tupac I want to hear more of you know and respect to Death Row and you know the gangster stuff but to me that was like yeah Death Row records nice. This, this is this is you know this is a little bit too gangster too
0: dark you told me a cool uh, Death Row Some story nice yeah. story about uh, Shug and Mike Tyson in the club or
1: something? Yeah, oh yeah, man. Like I remember my my sister and her cousin, our cousin, went to a club with their friends and uh, the Century Club. I don't remember what club it was. They used to hit all the popular clubs in Hollywood, and West LA, wherever it was popping. You know, especially for the hip hop crowd. And uh, <laughs> they went into a club and and at the bar, Shug Knight and Mike Tyson's kicking it.
0: That's yeah. when it's time to go.
2: That, yeah. that
1: that
0: SpongeBob meme. That's quite a
1: tandem. Uh, my, uh, That's to head quite out. a tandem. It's
0: time to head out. My cousin my cousin, you know, it was a lady,
1: you know, she was like, We gotta go. This, she she it just she was too scared. Like, to this, this it's not her. going well. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and and to be into, you know, I mean Marcellus Wiley, if you listen to uh, an interview he did about kind of a conversation he yeah, had with should uh at a at a club. Marcellus had a conversation
0: yeah. with shoot? Yeah. Well he did mm-hmm. he, Mr Clipper?
1: He got he got out of there. Uh, I guess the long long story short is he was sitting at a table. He, they were at some club and, you know, they, I guess they had reserved tables or whatever, you know, and he went and he sat down at a table and the waitress came over and told him, hey, man, you can't sit here. You know, this table's for sure. So Marcellus initially, initially was like, well, I'm a celebrity. I'm an NFL football player. Like, I'm not moving. <laughs> you know, hey, uh, you know, too. Yeah, yeah, he's like, man, I'm, fine not, way. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm staying put. You know, you know when Sug comes here, you know, we'll see. We'll work it out, whatever. But I'm not going to just up and, you know, get up just because, you know, this is Suge's table. Then Suge and his entourage came in, and uh, some, I don't know if somebody told Marcellus that they were coming in um, or whatever, but he got up. He got up. <laughs> and uh, maybe it was like Suge and 30- Smart dudes, move. Like he got up and he left, but Suge heard that Marcellus was – resisted Yeah, resistant yeah. at first. So yeah. then he, just on that, he went looking for Marcellus. But Marcellus bounced, it, it, <laughs> you know, so you, if you look that up on YouTube, you'll hear Marcellus telling that story. It was a, it was a close call because he wasn't going to get up right away, even though he knew that this was Suge's table. But, yeah, man, we, you know, being in L.A., ear to the grind, you know, you know stuff like that, hearing stuff from the streets, man, Suge used to go into clubs and terrorize the clubs, him and his entourage. And I remember there was another story – well, it was a, uh, they walked into a club in Hollywood should, you know, told the DJ, cut the music, grabbed the mic and said to everybody, ain't gonna be no Crip walking up in here tonight. <laughs> and, you know, he said his business and went down with his crew and doing their thing and um, next thing you know, some Crip was, was like, screw that, nigga, I'm Cripping. So, Start crypt watching. That's a bad, that's a bad business. To say. Uh, yeah. And they beat the crap out of him. They beat him from inside the club to outside the club, and you know to the wow. point. So, Shug Damn. and his crew was terrorizing, and my cousin knew that. And then she saw him with Mike Tyson. She was like, "That's a dangerous tandem." Nineties that's, that's Mike Tyson. Let, that's... Let, let me let me get out of here right yeah. now. But also, my Shug came to my sister's age, a uh, uh, one time too, kind of prematurely, but like. But like I said, my sister and, and and her crew, you know, they're really pretty girls and they got into the clubs for free and people paying for their drinks. And so they was living up the life or whatever. And um, one of her friends was from Detroit. So she was, you know, very street as well and didn't take no stuff. And so she, she used to sometimes be rude to the guys who was coming on tour or whatever, really for no reason. But just just because that was the mood she was in. And this one guy didn't like it at all. So I don't know if he slapped the drink out of her hand or he pushed her or something like that. And Suge, who doesn't, didn't know anybody in my sister's entourage or anybody else that was around, saw what was going on, jumped and ran over there, Bogart, and just by his presence knocked everyone to the side and was like, <laughs> is there a problem talking to the dude? Is there a problem? dude was like no he scared the crap out of him he's like no it's not a problem dude sorry whatever <laughs> he ran out of there right and then she turned to my sister and was like everything good you know Everything she was like yeah because she knew like if she said or a friend said no it's not good that she probably would have facilitated that dude getting worked you know what I mean so sure. he had that reputation anyway and so me hearing that kind of stuff and knowing that stuff and then you know, the Death Row stuff that was just was too Shug, real. Was so he
2: d- he diffused? He actually diffused yeah. the situation.
0: In that situation he looked, he you don't hear it. that too he often. He's he looking for a fight. He's looking for a reason to be somebody.
2: That, it could have ended. That yeah, could have ended really bad. Was
1: definitely a big bully. So you know that whole Death Row thing. Even though they were repping the West, and I love California love and stuff like that. Like I said, it was a little bit too real for me because mm-hmm. I was like. Yo, they doing it for they, real. They're they saying a game. Yeah, these, these <laughs> the, the gangster stuff didn't stop. You know what I mean? The money didn't make the gangster stuff stop. They bring and so Tupac's in that mix. Pasadena, he, where he, you he, at? You
2: can hear it in the
1: music too. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can hear it in the music. It was just mm-hmm. oh, you know. And you know, so I, I wasn't feeling that. But Tupac, prior to that, you know, the the Dear Mama album, and even his early career, like Trap, when he was with Digital Underground yeah. coming out, he was there was more consciousness. Um more unity, more stuff. You know, Brenda's got a baby, stuff like, hey, okay, this is a dark subject matter, but I'm gonna shine a little light on it to to, to hope to inspire people to you know come up from that, you know. And then so anyway, um, that's why he's not in my in my favorite list. And same thing with Biggie. Um, although, like Mike said, you could just clearly see that Biggie is a genius. He's a genius. And
2: no denying uh, that
1: unknown unknown fact to most people, him and Jay-Z. You know, and Jay Z's honorable mention too. Um, they don't write down any of their lyrics. Neither does Kanye. And I find that amazing that Top of the this whole story is in your head, and you figure out how to how to convey it. Because there's another thing too. Like freestyle rappers, if you're going back, there's some very good f- freestyle rappers, and they got their own career in freestyle rap. But when they try to transition over into making albums. A lot of times it's not a good transition. They just don't know how to make hits. Mm-hmm. They're good at what they do, which is that freestyle. And, you know, same thing like with street brawlers. Some street ballers, like the one guys, are very good, but then you put them in organized basketball and they don't fare as well. It's just two different genre, genres and they can't adapt. You know what I mean? So, same thing. But Jay Z and Biggie kill you in the freestyle, mm-hmm. this, you know, this switch over. Pick your poison. And, 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 and yeah. it, it give you hits. Um, so yeah, man. Just you know, my history of the rap too. I didn't want to leave some of the legends, the old legends, in the back. You got rock you got Kuji oh, Rap, the forefathers, who
2: inspired Nas, Big
1: mm-hmm. Pun, who was very pun.
2: Very, I love Big Pun, man. Yeah. He he rhymed about food. I mean, I, I, I love that. You, know I mean? you you can catch me eating uh, uh, sushi in my Mitsubishi. <laughs> he's dope.
0: <laughs> big
1: Pun, people sleep on Big Pun. Nas yeah. greatly admires. Yes, big sir. Pun, and he's respected by his peers too. Um, and I, I slept on him and then I listened to some of his stuff and I was like, yo, this guy is dope, like super dope. I, I, yeah. I didn't get it, you know, but, um, so, you know, the terror squad, big Pun, And he was real with it too. I, from all accounts that I've heard over the years, it was, he wasn't rapping about the street stuff. He was a living, it. Living, living it, living it. Yeah. Um, he wasn't, uh, in fact, Peter guns, who's from the Bronx as well. It's a funny story. He said, there was at the Apollo. And, you know, the New York crowd, can, even if you're good, they can be crazy. You They'll know, boo you. Boo you. <laughs> it was crazy. So, Big Pun, you can pull this up on YouTube, too. Peter Guns was saying, you know, he was on stage with Big Pun, Terror Squad, this whole Bronx crew, and they're performing. And somebody was throwing ice on stage from the balcony, right? So, Big Pun stops the concert. He wasn't having man. that. He got on the mic. He says, um, for those who don't know, I'm not a rapper. I'm a, I'm a real street
2: dude. Not a, not <laughs> a studio gangster.
1: One more piece of ice comes from the balcony. We gonna go up there and
2: catch, <laughs> catch me outside. No,
1: no, no. And, and, and hear the end of this story. So the dude, like the Crip Walker, challenged that theory. Yeah. Threw some more ice. They spotted him out. Big Punk had his dude stomped and him. Up and about stomped feet. him. They threw him off the
2: balcony. Damn. And then. <laughs> Towards Timberland up. Hey, he warned him. Stomped he warned
1: him. He warned him. him. So, but but Big Pun had that presence. He had that influence. He had that street cred. Big Pun, it, you, know, you
2: ain't he, even in me classe. He's dope, man.
1: He's yes. Dope. But yeah, aside from the street stuff, his his lyricism, his lyricism, I think is slept on. Um, Absolutely. And then lastly, another honorable mention: A Z, who came up with Nas. Mm-hmm. Um, did a lot of duos with Nas. Somebody I had my eye on because when Nas came out with Illmatic, it was like, yo, this guy, is somebody watch. And then. He had A Z right by his side, and they were going, you know, verse for verse. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yo, A Z is dope too. Then they did the firm together um, with Foxy Brown and Dr. Dre. Unfortunately, I was a great crew of MCs and producer, but it didn't work, you know, for whatever reason. And then AZ did some solo projects. He over the years has always done stuff with Nas. Nas has always included him on stuff. Um, but he had an album, his first album, I think, was Do or Die. Mm-hmm. Do or Dope or die, money or die, basically. Um, And that album is filled with great tracks, and there's a collaboration with Nas on that as well. But Az, uh, great uh, metaphors. I love his style, the way he crams words into phrases. It's, it's. He to me is amazing. I saw some stuff on you just looking up on some of his old videos, and you'll see a lot of comments say, "Man, this is this guy that is um, underrated as an MC." I totally agree. Az is dope. So I mean, the list can go on and on. But um, my you know my favorites are my favorites,
0: and
2: that's what it I
0: is. Am. What it is. So uh, I wanted to ask. So you you when I listened to your track, I heard I felt Snoop. That was the first thing that came in my mind. But you said you don't always like that comparison, even though that's what most people think. Is there somebody you kind of pattern your style after? Like who do you think of? Like when when you when you're coming up with your rhymes, you're you're working. Um, I, I don't um, think of
1: anyone. I, I think of what I think would match the beat, the music, blend well with the music, and then, you know, the content. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think Snoop rubbed off on me just because, you know, when he came, his style was just so infectious. And, um, you know, I I just, I liked his flavor um, when he came out. Um, But, you know, I listened to a lot of rappers. But as a creative person, also, I never, I intentionally was like, I don't want to sound like you know anybody. I want to sound like me, and um, you know, I I feel like you know sometimes I intentionally because I know people compare me to Snoop. I intentionally try not to sound like (laughs) him, and then people say, "You sound like Snoop," and I'm like,
2: "No escaping it." Oh
1: Lord! So it is what it is. I I respect that, you know. But um, yeah, there's no singular influence. Um, as far as that's concerned, um, it just kind of whatever fits. I just go with whatever fits the moment. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, but if I was to
0: say a style. Oh, come saying like, when you, when you're, when people play basketball, football, baseball, football, they have like certain athletes that kind of pattern their game after, or people who inspired them, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of like subjectively influence their style. So that's where, that's what I'm trying to see if that also played a role in your career. Uh, I would say no.
1: But I mean, I just respect a lot. I think it's more of a collage. Mm. Same thing with like uh, like the music that I try to create. It's not, I, you know, it. I don't have a goal in mind. This is going to be funk. Mm. This is going to be jazz. This is going to be army. This is going to be it. Just whatever sounds right at the moment. Just you know. You said it's a collage. Like who's in that collage? Oh, definitely DJ Quick. I would say Snoop. Um, you know. A lot of guys, I would say probably, in that case, Tupac, Biggie, uh, Nas, you know, um, there's just a ton of people that I listen to. Uh, Big Daddy Kane, for sure. Like, just their styles and kind of Mm -hmm. phrases and stuff. But one thing in hip-hop, for sure, like rappers, especially, you know, there was a thing back in the day called biting, you know, biting your style or biting your phrases, biting your words. And so if you bit another rapper's whatever, you know that was a mark against you you know you're not being creative you're not being yourself you're not being a pioneer um and so just coming up in with that kind of mentality you know it's like you intentionally try not to do that you know you listen to every what everyone's doing but you use that to merge together into your own flavor you know your your own interpretation of how things are supposed to go. So yeah, rap was very critical. The, the era has definitely changed where people are not being held accountable to those same standards. And also something mm-hmm. I should bring up too, another thing that I think of, like LL Cool J, L, that's another one I would say would be a strong influence mm-hmm. um, as well. But back in the day when they were recording, you know, vocals, especially rappers, because rappers rap so fast and so many words were coming in succession, you couldn't copy and paste, you couldn't cut and paste, Basically, you know, similar to Motown whenever recording it, it had to be perfect. You know, so you, when rappers wrote, they were also thinking about clarity and phrasing and being something that, sustaining a style throughout an entire verse or entire record, you know, and then of course it was costly as well, studio time, you're trying to get in and get out. Um, and as we've progressed into the future, especially now in, in Drake's era, and J. Cole, whoever, um, you can cut and splice anything so it may sound like a fluent verse but you might be listening to 10 different takes within one verse right and so they can afford to kind of get away with stuff you know try a little bit be more creative in the moment studio time is not as costly so you know you had basically the rappers of yesteryear had barriers that they had to get around and that affected their style and things like that so you know i mean more credit to them, because if you could spit a song from beginning to end without a mistake, especially if it's fast, and get out that clarity, like if you listen to LL's Let's Get Ill, and you realize that he's recording Flawless. under yeah. those circumstances, it's, man, like I said, you make me want to jump off the roof and go yell, let's get ill, and hit the gym, because it's just dope from
0: beginning to end, you know what I mean? Oh, man, I right, so... Before we go, I actually thought about what Amber mention was led to another question. One of the first rappers who I I grew up listening to, and I still like to this day, even though he doesn't really make music anymore, is Ice Cube. But this is more mm-hmm. you guys' era. You guys didn't mention anyone from NWA. Yeah, yeah. So like, when NWA was coming out, like, well, how did you guys feel about them?
2: Oh man, they they were <laughs>
0: they
2: they were hard. I mean, it, mm-hmm. there wasn't no other way to explain that. I mean, they were raw. Yeah, and yeah, that was.
1: But the thing was with them, I think. With Ice Cube is definitely a, you know a dope rapper. Um, he said some you know pretty profound stuff and and had some great albums. Yeah,
2: that American you know, Most Wanted that ooh. was yeah man great work.
1: Death certificate album mm-hmm. that was dope. When He went off on his own and dissed NWA and all mm-hmm. that. No, and, you know Ice Cube, but also I think um, one you know back then when they came out. New York was killing the game as far as lyricism. Um, and, you know, you had Ice-T, who was kind of a forefather to N.W.A., who and Too Short, who didn't focus on lyricism. They focused more on shock value, street stories, and booming-ass beats, mm-hmm. right? So then N.W.A. took that formula. The concentration wasn't on how great of a... Because um, even Easy e in one of his earlier songs was like... Um, Boy, try to battle me, boy. What's that? Um, he said, "If you want to battle me, you better come with a strap, something like that, right?" Mm-hmm. So it was like I'm not trying to prove who's the best rapper. We repping this gangster stuff, mm-hmm. right? So it took a long time for West Coast to catch up, you know, as far as on the lyrical playing field because their focus was on selling records mm-hmm. and shock value and talk about their life and um, even give it some more context. New York was very isolated. You know, they had their flat, the high top fades, and these unique haircuts, and these it's
2: different styles. Yeah,
1: coat the coat, the uh, the dress code, the ballet boots, and everything that they had and they wore, and they Tins. talked about. We we didn't get access to that. You know, the DJing and stuff, and how to be a great DJ. All that equipment and all that knowledge was primarily in New York area, so the rest of the country couldn't get to it. And after a while, it was kind of like, well, we like what you're doing. We want to learn how to do what you're doing, but. One, for L.A., you're cross-country, and two, we we just don't have enough contact with you, you know, and and New York guys are safeguarding their stuff, you know, even to the point where the West Coast, East Coast beef happened, New York was not playing West Coast music on their radio stations. They were very much New York-centered, right, which caused the beef. So. For West Coast, it was like, okay, well, we're going to do our best adaptation of that because we love this hip hop stuff, but we don't know how to DJ how you DJ. We don't know how to rhyme how, you -hmm. know, we didn't come up under the same school, but we're going to give our. So it became about the khakis and the t shirts and the Chuck Taylors and it became became about our culture because that's what we knew, right? So we we did the best hip hop uh, adaptation that we could. And then the rest of the country loved it, right? It was like, Okay, we don't care about all this lyricism, we don't care about this New York Center stuff. We care about what we can relate to. The rest of the country could relate to the West Coast stuff, you know, and the stuff that we had accessibility to, the South had access accessibility to in Chicago and places like that. So that's why our albums outsold New York albums, you know, after that point, because we kind of hit the nail on the head of what people can relate to and what they want to hear. But again, going back to Lyricism and craftiness, it it became not about, you know, who's the best of the best. It became about just who knows how to to reach the people, really. And then fast forward to Drake. He's mastered how to reach the people. It doesn't mean that he's the best at what he does, but he's the best. And Madonna was the same thing way, too. She's the best at being able to reach the audience that she's catering to. And they respond to them. And so it's it's a it's an entertainment game. But in and, and that Nas has kind of his career has kind of been hurt because he's kind of stayed true to his hip hop roots. Yep. He's done a lot of old school tributes and like the younger crowd just a lot late of late to that. jazz
2: influence, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, speaking to the people, uh, I can't leave out uh, Chuck D, Public Enemy. Uh, because I mean, again, the substance, the, the political uh, nature of it. You uh, at all. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm saying from a lyrical standpoint. I'm, I, I'm not saying, you know, yeah. from from uh, that standpoint. That's before my but, time. But yeah, Chuck, shout out to Chuck, Chuck to D. Chuck, D. Saying, hey, and I
0: gotta shout out to my guy, uh, Shiny Suitman, Pub Dead. That's my guy. That's what I grew up on. Look yeah. man, my uh-huh. more problems. That video wow. with with Puffy and Mace, he was impersonating Tiger Woods <laughs> and went okay. to the golf course. And he's celebrating. Look, man, look, okay. I was I was a kid. Okay.
2: <laughs> okay, we know look, oh, we, we know God. sampling is a big part of hip hop, oh, but Puff Daddy took it to a whole nother level, oh, man. man. You can't just take somebody's record and just talk over it.
0: He even sampled the, the Rocky and, and, and take credit for the it. Rocky game on victory. He was dating JLo, you know, uh, I Need a Girl Part One, Part Two.
2: Let's see. He He plagiarized. uh, Let's see. Led Zeppelin, The Police. uh, The list goes on and on.
0: Bad boy, baby. Puff Daddy definitely mastered the art of
1: reaching his his his, uh, intended audience. That's that's what he did. But as
2: far as artistry is concerned, great hype, great great hype, man. I'll give you that. Great hype, man. He was a hype man. He
1: also did he did he did the obvious, which I think a lot of producers were trying to not do. Like you said, he picked the obvious hits like to sample,
2: like the police. Yeah, you take a, like, a hit, it's already a hit. Uh,
1: David he makes it a double hit. Yeah, this is like you just. It's called it. plagiarism. <laughs> okay, Mike. That's how I got through school, Roma. Mm-hmm. I respect it. Okay. Well, you know what, though? And Puffy's, uh, Puffy's formula, too, was spare no amount because to get those samples, he had to play, pay a pretty penny, penny which yeah. is another reason why other producers were trying to avoid using them. Because you like, you know, I don't have that in my budget. Puffy like, hey, let's go get that because mm-hmm. we know we can flip that and make double. You know what I mean? So, smart
2: smart businessman. Yeah. I'll give him that.
1: No, no doubt. But as far as artistry. Mm, no, sir. His baby. Puffy and Mace. And he he knew how to pick the artist. You know, Mace wrote his lyrics. Bloom wrote his lyrics. We got
2: and on that note, I'm going to head out. We got a bad boy's movie
0: coming out. Okay. Yeah. But yeah Looking man. forward to that. Shoot, man, that was, that was a good episode. was a lot of info. This is probably going to have to be a part one, part two. This will probably be part two.
2: To be continued.
0: Well, I'm glad you could finally join join us, sir. Glad to join you, man. Sharing, like your setup, is dope. Sharing your rap knowledge with us. You know, you can listen to me and Romo go back and forth. You know, we got tired of beating up each other, so we had to bring in a third person. <laughs> so it, it was a lot of fun. So thank you for joining us. Till next time, talk to you guys later. Thank you for tuning in for today's episode of The Room Podcast. As always, you can reach me on Instagram and Twitter at MichaelDWalker3. You can also leave a voice message through the Anchor app. Uh, so glad we were able to finally uh, put this episode on WAX. We've been talking about it for a long time. Uh, shout out to Romo and Ryan for coming through, giving their input. Um, it's always good to hear from a slightly older generation because they have a wider scope of uh, true hip-hop history. Um, I learned some things, and I hopefully open their minds up to drake because you know they really like drake but anyway hey we'd love to hear from you guys would love to hear your list so um hit, hit like i said hit me up on twitter and instagram till next time talk to you guys later oh yeah like share all that good stuff peace and as promised here is ayala featuring ryan southern as though i had wings
2: Oh, I've <laughs>
1: hell again, my new thing treated me like a king, my girl I'm feeling on top of the world up there, as though I had